Lesson 3 for July 11 to 17, The Unlikely Missionary. Sabbath afternoon, July 11. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are going to open your word again this week, and we're going to be looking particularly in the Old Testament at the story of Naaman. And out of that story come some unusual truths. And as we read this story, as we open your word, we pray that that the story will be for us, but also for those that we can share it with too. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 4 and verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Let's read that again, Luke 4.27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. The Book of Kings, covering the history of the kingdoms of Israel from about 970 to 560 BC, record exciting and dramatic events and far-reaching political upheavals touching God's people. Woven in these accounts are the stories of Elijah and Elisha, daring prophets of God whose adventures have gripped the imaginations of children and adults in every age. Also interesting are the similarities between the ministry of Elisha and the ministry of Jesus. In the ministries of both, dead persons were raised, lepers cleansed, and hungry people fed from small amounts of food. This week's lesson deals with one of these miracles, the healing of Naaman, a wealthy, powerful, and very proud idolater who, in his great need, came to experience the power of the living God and first did so through the witness of a very unlikely missionary. Among the many spiritual truths that can be found in this account, we can get a model for cross-cultural witnessing in the midst of international tension and rivalry. We can see, too, in this story, a model for how the plan of salvation works. Sunday, July 12, he had it all, but... 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1 reads, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. This verse contains no fewer than four descriptions or titles that put Naaman in the top echelon of Syrian or Armenian society. He exerted major influence on the king of Aram, was held in high esteem, and was the king's right-hand man in religious as well as military matters, as you read in verse 18. Yet in the thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. He was also extremely wealthy, as you read in chapter 5, verse 5. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. However, verse 1 has a major but. All Naaman's power, honour, and bravery paled in light of the most feared disease in those days, leprosy. And that is exactly what this poor man had. The major but that cast a dark shadow over all else he had achieved. This ailment, however, brought him into contact with God's prophet, and through that contact he became a believer in the true God. Question. Read Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, Luke 8, verses 41 to 56, and Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. Despite the obvious fact that Jesus did miraculous healings here, what is the common denominator in these accounts? What is it that brought all these people to Jesus? Well, first of all, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction." And in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 to 56, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, 
Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Personal life disruptions, tragedy and transitions can make people more open to spiritual truth and set them on a search for God. Physical, psychological, political or other disasters can open people up to the reality of the divine. Personal loss, national catastrophes and war are major motivators that cause people to seek a power greater than themselves. The Church has long been aware that increased soul-winning results tend to come in areas in which people are struck by personal or societal suffering. So to finish the day, on one level Naaman appeared to have it all. On another he was a broken man without much hope. In what ways are we all like that, having good things and bad things in our lives? How can we learn to allow both to keep us connected to the Lord? Monday, July 13, An Unlikely Witness Question. Read Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. What is going on here? Why would the Syrians even have listened to what a captive slave girl had to say? And what might be the hidden implications of what transpired? Second Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man and honourable in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young maid from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened, when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. The Bible gives us no real details of how this little girl acted in the home, but it's clear that there was something about her that caught the family's attention. Think about it. On the word of a captive female child in his household, a wealthy and powerful military leader goes to his king, tells him what she said, and then gets permission from the king to go. Even more so, he loaded up on gifts to bring to the prophet. Obviously, more was going on than what is explicitly stated in the text. 
Nevertheless, God's agent to plant the knowledge of him in the ruling circles of Syria was an unnamed little Hebrew slave girl cruelly snatched from her home by a Syrian raiding party. Instead of dwelling on the cruelty and meaninglessness of that act and of her life of servitude, she shared her unshaken faith in the life-changing power of God, who was working through Elisha in Samaria, as we read in verse 3. Thus, like Daniel and his companions in Babylon, she was able to turn her own adversity into a way to glorify God, and thus God turned her captivity into an opportunity to share her faith. According to Ellen White in Prophets and Kings, page 245, the conduct of the captive maid, the way that she bore herself in that heathen home, is a strong witness to the power of early home training. Question. What should this tell us about how our faith, lifestyle and actions can draw others to us and to the truths with which we have been entrusted? And to finish today, what's fascinating too in this story is the reaction of the king of Israel upon getting the letter. Am I God? Can I heal leprosy? His words reveal just how dreaded the disease was and why only a miracle could bring about a cure. For whatever reason, the letter implied the expectation that the king was to bring the cure. He knew that he couldn't do that, and so he thought it was all a trick to instigate trouble. Tuesday, July 14, Elisha the Prophet. The ministry of the prophet Elisha in the 9th century BC comes to us in a series of 18 episodes, extending over more than 50 years. His ministry was conducted mostly as the head of the school of the prophets and was largely public. It included displays of signs and wonders at both the personal as well as the national level. Elisha was a prophet whose counsel and help was sought by both kings and commoners. Question. Read Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. What does this tell us about the calling and ministry of Elisha? Second Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you, before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets, who were from Jericho, saw it, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and bowed to the ground before him. No question that Elisha was called of God. He had some incredible experiences that must have confirmed his calling in his own mind. More important, his request for a double portion of the Spirit showed his awareness that for him to do what he was called to do, he would need divine power, because in and of himself he would be helpless. Thus, even back then, this man of God understood what Jesus said many centuries later in John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It's a lesson that we all need to recognize, no matter our position in the Lord's work. Obviously, as we can see from the story of Elisha's calling, this power had indeed been granted to him. Thus, Elisha revealed that he had a healthy and honest understanding of his own role and calling, when he declared to the king, let Naaman know that there is a prophet in Israel, in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 8. Also interesting, must have been the scene when this military commander and his retinue showed up in all their glory at the door of Elisha's house, probably something relatively small and modest in contrast to the luxury that Naaman enjoyed. Elisha, however, didn't seem all that intimidated by Naaman and his troops. In fact, Elisha did not so much as step outside to meet his powerful caller. Instead, he sent a messenger, who gave the military commander a command. 
The only reward for Naaman's long trip from Damascus was the blunt directive to go to the Jordan and bathe. But it was accompanied by a promise, as in verse 10, you will be cleansed. No doubt the pride of this important man was hurt. Perhaps, though, that was the point. Wednesday, July 15, The Healing of Naaman Question. Read Second Kings chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. What does this account teach us about Naaman and some of the lessons he had to learn? What can we take from this for ourselves as well? Second Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Now Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash! and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Had the prophet Elijah personally met his prominent guest Naaman, and employed exercising gestures accompanied by magic formulas and other rituals so common in pagan religions, Naaman might not have hesitated. But two aspects of his reception insulted him. Not only did the prophet not personally come out of his house to meet Naaman, but he also directed him to the Jordan River as the place to get his leprosy cured. From the viewpoint of protocol, Naaman was right. Elisa should have left his house to greet him. And the rivers in Damascus were undoubtedly better, since their water was clearer than the muddy Jordan's. However, through Elisha, God directed Naaman to the Jordan, a river of Israel. The entire cure process was designed to demonstrate first that there was a prophet of the true God in Israel, and second, that God rewarded believing compliance. Naaman's retinue convinced him to submit to his new divine commander and at least give it a try. Their argument that if the suggested cure had been complicated, he would have endured it, persuaded him. It must have been hard for Naaman to swallow his pride at having to listen to a slave girl, a foreign prophet who showed him little deference, and finally to his own servants. He was, though, desperate for healing. Second Kings 5.14 says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The initial requirements for Naaman's healing were belief and compliance. As soon as he conquered his pride and complied with God's expressed will by bathing seven times in the muddy Jordan, 
He was cured. So to finish today, read Romans chapter 6 verses 4 to 11. How does the story of Naaman reflect some of the principles taught in these verses? In what ways have you experienced the reality of a new life in Christ? Romans 6, beginning at verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does the story of Naaman reflect some of the principles taught in these verses? In what ways have you experienced the reality of a new life in Christ? Thursday, July 16, a new believer. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15 reads, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Question. In what way do these words help to reveal the experience of salvation? I would also ask to look at Revelation chapter 14 verse 12, here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and 1 John chapter 5 verses 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And Romans chapter 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It would have been easy for Naaman to return directly from Jordan to Damascus after his healing. However, as a gesture of thankfulness, he and his attendants returned to the prophet's place. This time they met Elisha in person. The confession that the God of Israel is sovereign in the world is the main theme of the Bible. These words coming from a pagan constitute one of the high points in Old Testament revelation. Naaman's conversion made clear that his new experience had to be tied to the God of Israel. The prophet was an Israelite, the river was the most important in Israel, and the number seven was a clear connection to the God of creation. What we see with Naaman is an example of how true faith works. Naaman received something that he could never have earned on his own. The fact that Elisha refused the gifts in chapter 5 verse 16 was a way of showing how salvation cannot be earned or bought. 
but is wholly of God's grace. At the same time, however, Naaman's willingness to give something to Elisha for what he had done for him shows the response of faith, a response out of gratefulness for what had been given him. Elisha refused the gift. Here he followed the example of Abraham when he helped the pagan kings but refused rewards with the words that no one should be able to say, I made Abram rich. That's a quote from Genesis 14 verse 25. Elisha knew that acceptance of a gift would have spoiled the lesson Naaman should learn. The healing was the work of God and an act of sheer grace. As Ellen White writes in Faith and Works, page 16, Let this point be fully settled in every mind. If we accept Christ as a Redeemer, we must accept Him as a Ruler. We cannot have the assurance and perfect confiding trust in Christ as our Saviour until we acknowledge Him as our King and are obedient to His commandments. Thus we evidence our allegiance to God. We have then the genuine ring in our faith, for It is a working faith. It works by love. And so to finish today, if others were to look at your life, what would they see in it that reveals your love for God because of what He has done for you in Christ? Friday, July 17. From the book Patriarchs and Kings, pages 252 and 253, centuries after Naaman returned to his Syrian home, healed in body and converted in spirit, his wonderful faith was referred to and commended by the Saviour as an object lesson for all who claimed to serve God. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elasius the prophet, the Saviour declared, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian, Luke 4.27. God passed over the many lepers in Israel because their unbelief closed the door of good to them. A heathen nobleman who had been true to his convictions of right and who felt his need of help was, in the sight of God, more worthy of his blessing than were the afflicted in Israel, who had slighted and despised their God-given privileges. God works for those who appreciate his favours and respond to the light given them from heaven. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Throughout the years, a great deal of discussion has ensued over what happened after the healing of Naaman. In Second Kings chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, Naaman makes a powerful confession of faith, saying, For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. However, right after, he says, When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord Please pardon your servant in this thing. That's verse 18. What are the implications of Elisha's reply? To what extent do Christian missionaries have to exercise patience and understanding to new converts, especially when they come to us from a different religious and cultural background? Question 2. How rapidly should 
enculturation of new converts take place. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 416, The widow of Sarephath and Naaman, the Syrian, had lived up to all the light they had. Hence they were accounted more righteous than God's chosen people, who had backslidden from him and had sacrificed principle to convenience and worldly honour. And question three. Healing and salvation come to Naaman by a faith revealed in his actions. Discuss more the whole question of the relationship between faith and works. Why is it so important to understand the crucial yet distinct roles both have in the Christian life and witness? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Twice Victorious, and it's one of those part one and part two stories. This is part one, and it's by Natalie Villanueva from the Philippines. The Villanueva family were devoted to one another and their church. Napoleon, the father, often worked far from home. After a while, a pattern of late-night socialising with his co-workers began. He began spending more of his paycheck and sending less money home. Lolita, his wife, grew concerned by the dwindling checks. She knew something was wrong and went to see her husband. When she learned of his activities, she tried to reason with him, but eventually returned home, frustrated and hurt. Lolita found a Bible and began searching for guidance and comfort. One day, as she read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the fourth commandment stopped her. Remember the Sabbath day, it said. She had always worshipped on Sunday, but if Christ died on Friday, rested on the Sabbath, and rose from the dead on the first day, Sunday, then the Sabbath day must be Saturday. She decided that if God had commanded his children to keep the Sabbath day holy, she would obey. But she found it more difficult to obey the first and second commandments all of her life she had prayed while looking at statues of Christ or a saint. Lord, she prayed, I'm sorry, but I can't pray without looking at you or a saint. Please give me a sign that I mustn't pray to these statues. During the night, Lolita was awakened by the sound of breaking glass, followed by beating wings. She thought that the neighbor's rooster had gotten into her house. But before she could investigate, she fell back to sleep. When she got up the next morning, she found that her statues of saints had fallen and were lying on the floor, broken into hundreds of tiny pieces. She fell to her knees and asked God to forgive her for doubting his word. Lolita found a Seventh-day Adventist church and decided to attend. She arrived long before services began and knelt quietly to pray. During the worship service, she wept. Afterward, a woman invited her to study the Bible. Lolita eagerly accepted and was soon ready for baptism. Lolita invited her five teenage children to attend church, but they were busy. However, when they were free, they went with her. They found the church service to be long, but enjoyed the afternoon youth meetings. Napoleon returned home and learned that Lolita planned to be baptised. Out of respect, the family members attended church with her when they could. One by one, 
Lalita's husband and children were baptized. And this story is to be continued next week, so make sure you listen to next week's lesson and inside story. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.